Hi there, and welcome to the Vertical Ministries podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information about Vertical, please check out our website at verticalministries.net. How we doing? My name's Adam. Glad to be here with you guys, and I can I can sincerely say that tonight I had kind of a scary thing happen this morning. I had a, a pretty big injury, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to be here. I didn't even tell you about this deal. But this morning I got to the office and uh, put in a stick of chewing gum in my mouth, and I walked down to the break room, and I got some water, and I was starting to walk back to my office, and I had that thing happen. It's probably happened to some of you, maybe even happened to some of you today, where I bit my lip as hard, I mean, I'm, I'm like twice the age of you guys, I can sit here and I can honestly tell you, it's the hardest I have ever bit my lip in my life, okay, it's like one of those ones that it sends shivers through your body when you bite it right, because you don't feel the pain right away, and I'm sitting, I had meetings after this, I've got blood in my mouth, it was like bleeding for a long period of time, I even had this thought, like maybe I need to go and get this thing stitched up. And I said, no, I can't go to the hospital today because i got to come and hang out with my friends down at Vertical. And so today, what I did to sacrifice for you guys is I chewed really slow at lunch. I chewed really, I tried, I went to Chick-fil-A and I got the grilled nuggets just to be soft, like they were a little bit softer. Not that bad. I don't know if you guys have tried that. That's a little free advice. The grilled nuggets aren't that bad. And, uh, and so I am here. And what I, what I really want to let you know is that what you're going to witness tonight is an act of valor and manhood that maybe you've never seen before, okay? That I am here, and I'm going to do this, and I've got a sore lip. So if I go down, if like some reason when I'm talking, I go down and blood is just coming out of my mouth, I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to make it through. So anyway, I'm excited to be here. So I want to start off with a story to set up our time for where we're going tonight. So so a few years ago, I was driving an old car. I had an old Toyota Camry needed to go get the oil changed and I decided to go get the go get it changed one day and I had kind of developed this affinity for when I got my oil changed to go to Walmart and one of the reasons I like going to Walmart to get the oil changed is because it was a very low stress experience when I went there and uh, I don't know if you guys with your cars if your dads still do that or parents still help you with that or if you guys are at the point now where you go get the oil changed but if you go get your oil changed in your vehicle there's always if you don't go to Walmart if you go to other places there's always a moment when you drop the car off and then you go back into the lobby where the person who's the technician who's changing the oil comes into the lobby and they try to upsell you on things. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys have experienced that, this, this upsell process where they try to show you your air filter and it's got like a full tree in it or like branches or a leaf or something. And they're like, do you know you've been breathing this? And I was like, I didn't even know how where that tree came from and how it got in my air filter. And so this whole upselling process to me I don't like, and the reason I don't like it is because I'm not a car person. I never grew up as a car person. My dad didn't teach me anything about cars. And so when I take, even just take my car to get the oil changed, it's one of the most vulnerable experiences in my life because that guy that's changing the oil could tell me anything is wrong with the car and I would believe him. I mean, he could come into that and just be like, you are low on blinker fluid. Do you know that that you need blinker fluid right now? And I would be like, really? fill it up. How much is it? I can't be, you know, without blinker fluid. And so it's just this very vulnerable experience. And so I found when I go to Walmart, I would drop my car off, go in the lobby, and then they would just call me when the car was done. And so I said, okay, great. I'm going to start going to Walmart so I don't get ashamed every time that they try to tell me something's wrong. So anyway, I drop off the car, I go in the lobby, and I mean, it's been maybe three minutes. And the technician guy comes in 
and he looks at me and he goes, who, who has the Camry? And I was like, I've got the Camry. He goes, that's your Camry out there, the green Camry? I said, yeah. And he goes, you just want an oil change? I said, yeah, I just want an oil change. And he looked at me with like this fear in his eyes. And he goes, I would change your oil, but your car has no oil in it to change right now. I don't know how you even drove here. So here's what I need you to do. I need you. And, and like he, he took me into the Walmart store and he's like, we got all this oil. And he goes, let's go out into the parking lot. I paid for it. And he got me one of those funnel things because that's what they're for is to put the oil in your car. And he taught me how to put oil in my car. And so, you know, this whole time I'm looking at him and I'm seeing this, this expression on his face. And I'm like, so this is kind of a big deal if the car runs out of oil. And come to find out, it's an enormous deal if your car runs out of oil. So I went out to the internet just to see if this guy was true, if, if he was trying to upsell me or if he was telling me something that really is true about cars. And I found this just frightening quote of what happens if you don't have oil in your car. And I want to read this to you. And I fully get that for some of you, this may be the most helpful thing you learn all week. Okay? And I'm okay with that. If this is all you learn is that your car needs oil, then I, I'm going to count tonight a win. But listen to this quote. Here's what happens if your car runs out of oil. The engine will overheat and damage such as, and now it's going to list the damage that will happen, damage such as pistons and rings fusing to the cylinder walls and the engine block will crack. I had no clue that my little Camry had pistons and rings that could fuse to anything, but supposedly this is a big deal. This engine block cracking does not sound like a good thing. So the engine block will crack. The cylinders will lose compression, coolant will leak, and the engine will likely need to be replaced. And so I realized this guy at Walmart was doing me a solid. He was not lying to me. He was being serious that if my car ran out of oil, then it was going to be disaster for my vehicle. And it's just kind of mind-boggling when I think about it. You know, you got a car that has thousands of parts, and the engine alone, just hundreds and hundreds of parts in the engine. And so all of these parts work together in your vehicle to get you from point A to point B. I mean, all of these engineers put all these hours into it and all these designers put all these hours into it. But if one little thing is missing, if oil is missing, then your car will not be able to function as the designers intended for it to function. It doesn't matter if all the other parts are working. If this one thing is missing, if oil is missing from your engine, then your car will not be able to function as the designer intended. And I start with that tonight because there's something else in our life that is the exact same way. There's something else in our life that if one little thing is missing, then this thing that impacts all of us will completely fall apart. And this one thing in our life that we all have in common is this, and it is relationships. And I, I know Dale said you guys aren't going to be talking about relationships. Tonight we're going to talk about relationships, but it's not just dating relationships. We're going to be talking about every relationship that you have, relationships with your friends, relationships with your family, relationships with your professors, relationships with those in your organizations, relationships with the people that you uh, have friends with here at Vertical. Every single relationship that you have in your life, if one thing is missing, that relationship will come to a screeching halt, just like if our car is missing oil. And that one thing, that if it is not present in our relationships, that one thing is humility. If you and I, if we are not humble, if we are not humble, then what we're going to realize is that all of our relationships will crumble. Just like oil is to an engine, humility is to our relationships. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is we're going to be talking about this idea of humility and how we can grow in our humility, how we can become more humble. 
Because I know one thing is probably certain for all of us is that we all want to have these healthy relationships and we got to understand that humility is an enormous part of all this. Now let me just define humility real quick because a lot of us out there probably have different ideas of what it means to be humble. What I, what, when, I, when I talk about humility, what I am not saying is low self-esteem. And I'm not talking about false humility. And we've all seen people who suffer from false humility, where you give them a compliment or you tell them, hey, you really encouraged me, or hey, I like that aspect of you. And they just try to defer and they're like, you know, glory to God, glory to God for all that. You know, that's not me, that's him. And, and there's all this false humility or this low self-esteem that we can all feel, just this self-hatred that we can feel sometimes of thinking that we're no good at anything. That is not the humility, biblical humility, like we're going to talk about tonight. Humility is not, is not uh, thinking less of yourself. Humility is low self-preoccupation. It's just not thinking about yourself as often. That's what it means to be humble. And so we are going to be talking about how this humility that we all want in our life is going to be the oil for relationships. And the reason this is so important, because of what I've already said, that if, you're, if you are not humble, then your relationships will crumble. Because here's what probably true. And you guys are getting to, you, you guys are old enough where you're starting to connect these dots. Because, and, and as you get older, you're going to just see this happen more and more and more in your life. If, I, if you were going to do this tonight, if I said everybody fill out a little graph, you know, and just, just kind of plot out on a graph, what are the high points in your life and what are the low points in your life? The one thing I bet every single one of us have in common with the high points of our life is that the best times of our life had nothing to do with the way our body looked, had nothing to do with the amount of possessions that we had, had nothing to do with our GPA had nothing to do with how we were doing in sports. The one thing that we probably all have in common with the high points of our, of our life is that what was probably going on at the best times of our life is when our relationships were the healthiest. And the opposite of that is true as well. That if you look at the low points in your life, it's probably not because you were frustrated by the way you looked. It's probably not because you weren't performing in school or performing in sports or you didn't have a resume that was going in the direction that you wanted it to, that probably the thing that we all have in common is that the low points in our life is when our relationships were the least healthy. Because if we're not humble, then our relationships are going to crumble. And what, what some of you are going to see tonight, here's what I know is probably true, what some of you are going to see tonight is you guys are going to connect some dots tonight. You're going to have some aha moments tonight. Probably not all of you, but I think there's going to be quite a few of you in here tonight. A lot of things are going to start to make sense tonight because what you're starting to realize now in your late teens and early 20s is you're starting to develop a little reputation for some broken relationships in your life. It seems like nobody is really in your life for more than a year or 18 months, and the relationships of those that are closest with you, they always seem to be full of jealousy and strife and conflict, and it's confusing to you. And I think some of you tonight are going to connect those dots, and what you're going to realize is that the reason your relationships are not healthy is because you are not humble. You're prideful. You're arrogant. You think about yourself all the time. And the words of Paul are hopefully going to be an encouragement to you tonight as you start to realize how you, how you can start to take steps towards growing in your humility. Because here's the deal, guys. Nothing puts a lid on relationships. Nothing puts a lid on relationships like the lack of humility. A relationship can only go so far if, it, if both people in the relationship are not humble. And so what some of you are going to see tonight is that you have been the lid in the relationships in your life. Because your life is all about you. And so what I believe tonight and what we're going to see as we open up Philippians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, let's open it up. 
Because what we're going to see tonight is that, that every single one of us can have healthy relationships. If we just start to follow this path towards humility that Paul so clearly lays out in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and I'm just going to try to make three points. There are so many points we can make out of this passage. This is one of the most famous passages of all of Scripture. This is probably not going to be a surprise to many of you all, but I'm just going to draw out three things tonight. What we're going to see from this is that Paul has a lot to say in the way you and I view the world and the way we view enemies and who we allow ourselves to be in a relationship with and who we don't allow ourselves to be in a relationship with. We're going to see that Paul wants us to increase the value that we place on others. And we're going to wrap this up by seeing what Paul wants us to do in life is not to wake up every day seeking to be served, but he wants us to wake up every day laboring to serve like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did when he came to earth. So let's jump on in Philippians chapter 2. Here we go. Let's pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And so what Paul is saying right here, let's just stop here and draw out a point from this. What he's saying here in these first two points is that Paul wants us to be united. He wants all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, he wants all of us to be united. And this is not a new idea that Paul picks on here just in Philippians chapter 2. He talks about it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. He says that we should live in harmony with one another. He says it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. He's saying, excuse me, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, try to live at peace with everyone. The author of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. So this is not a new idea that Paul is, is uh, 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 bringing to our attention here in Philippians chapter 2. This is a theme that you see all throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. That Paul wants you and I as followers of Jesus, he wants us to be united. And so the first point that I want to make tonight is this, is that if we want to start to walk on that path towards humility, then we've got to change our perspective and we've got to realize that there is one enemy in this world, just one. And here's why the first point is one enemy. Even though, you know, I could make the first point like be united or pretend like we're, we're on one team and make sure that we all love each other and all that kind of stuff. But that is, that really isn't getting at the heart of what Paul is saying here. You know, to, to talk about that we're on one team or we all need to be united, that is so easy to say. It just sounds like a hashtag. You know, just one team. We're all, we're all the same. And that is such an easy thing to say, but, it, but it's such a difficult thing to live. Because what Paul is really saying here, he doesn't say just go around and give lip service to this idea that we're on one team. What he is saying is practically in our life, you and I should have one enemy. And that's it, one. And that is the enemy, Satan. Every other person that we engage in our, in our world, we should not view them as an enemy. That we are to have one enemy in our life, and that is the enemy himself. That is Satan. Everybody else we are to be in a relationship with. And so if we're going to move towards humility like Paul wants us to, then we have to understand that we have one enemy, and that is the enemy. And that, is, that, that too is so easy to say, and it is so hard to live. And you know why? It's because we're Americans. That's why it's so hard. And not only are we Americans, we're Americans that live now in 2017. And so what we do now, the, the narrative that we're it is like we are becoming masters at spinning this narrative in our culture. We are the masters of, of spinning a narrative about our life that puts us at the center of some injustice 
or that, that there are some people that are out there to get us, that it's us against the world, and, and that, that we are just, we can spin that story and make it sound like it is us against everybody else, and we have all of these enemies. In fact, uh, Slate.com is an online magazine. Some of you guys maybe go and check that out or get some news from there. What will say this is that in 2014, in 2014, they declared 2014 to be the year of outrage in America. And you can still go out to their website and see this. What they did, they, did, they created this graph. It's amazing. They took all 365 days in 2014, and they have a little square for every single day. And you can go out there right now, and you can hover over every single day. You can click on, and then this other little box will pop up, and it'll tell you exactly what Americans were angry about that day, what they were outraged about. The president said this. The Senate said that. This celebrity said this. Can you believe that that person said that? Every single day, we were mad at someone, and we have become masters of doing that in our culture. And I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you guys that I don't struggle with this temptation to try to believe that I have some enemies. I mean, I've got people that I struggle to be in relationships with. I've got people that I kind of view as my, as my enemies. I find it really difficult to be in a relationship with, with Houston Astros fans. Just, it's just hard for me. I have trouble. Like some of my enemies are people that think like Starbucks is good. I struggle with that. I struggle with people that like small dogs. I struggle with that. I mean, the list goes on and on. People take pictures of their food. I mean, it just keeps going on. Guys that guys that wear you know male rompers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I I have trouble. I, I wanna I wanna feel like and spin this narrative that I'm at the center of some injustice, but I want to make sure that we hear this, okay? Hear this. It is incompatible. It is incompatible with the gospel of Jesus Christ to have an enemy. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've got a bunch of people in your life that you don't think deserve a relationship with you, if these are your enemies, where you just go, hey, I'm not, I'm not in a relationship with them anymore, and you claim to be a Jesus or a Jesus follower. I want to tell you something that's confusing. There's something that you're not understanding there. If you and I, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we are to be united with everyone. If we feel like there is somebody that does not deserve a relationship with us, that is pride, and that is the exact opposite of humility. Let me give you an image of, of kind of what Paul, I think, is talking about here and how he wants us to be humble with this. And so I think we've got a picture that we'll put up over here of a hotel room. Some of you guys have been in hotel rooms growing up, and you've seen hotel rooms that have uh, adjoining, adjoining doors. You guys been in those hotel rooms that have an adjoining door? And so here, I want you guys, when you think about hotel rooms and you see hotel rooms like that that have an adjoining door, that to, to think about relationships and what it means to be moving towards humility. Because here's, here's the way, you know, if you walk into that hotel room and it's got adjoining doors, that door that adjoins the two rooms, there's actually two doors there, right? There's a door in your room that you control, but then there's a door in the other side and the other room that somebody else controls. In every single one of our relationships, if it's healthy, then both doors are open and you're in a relationship with that person. Just going back and forth, back and forth. Loving one another, caring for one another, considering each other's interest above their own. But if you, if you have an enemy with somebody, what you're doing is you're taking your side of the door and you're shutting it. And you're going, you don't deserve a relationship with me. And what Paul is telling us here, that if we have any hope of being united with Christ, then we will be united with one another. And what that means is that we will never, ever, ever, ever shut our door. We can't control what the other person does. The other person may shut the door on us. We can't control that. The only thing that we can control in humility is to keep our door open. 
And the reason why this is the first path towards humility is genius what Paul is saying here. Because if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, if you want that to be in a, in a, a healthy relationship, then guess what that means? That means you, you will become humble. Like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen because if you're in a relationship with other people, here's what that means. That means you're going to have to forgive them when they hurt you. That means you're going to have to listen to them when they're going through a hard time. That means that you're going to have to admit that at times you contribute to the dysfunction that, that is present in the relationship. That means you're going to have to put their interest above your own. If you're in a healthy relationship, if you live with one enemy, it produces humility. So the first point that we all need to remember if we want to move towards this path of humility is that we need to remember that we are to have one enemy. And so let's remember what the great theologian Hamish Abernathy said to Katniss Everdeen before the 75th Hunger Games. Remember what he said? Remember who the real enemy is. Remember. The real enemy is not each other. The real enemy so one enemy. Let's keep going. He moves on here. Verse 3. Here's the one that you guys maybe have memorized or heard before. Do nothing. It's a very complete language right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking out to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So let's stop there. The second point that I want to make tonight is this. Is that we need to increase the value you place on others. So you have one enemy. And you increase the value that you place on other people. And so what Paul is basically saying here is that we need to go around and we need to treat everybody as valuable. That's the second way that we can move towards humility. And I've got great news. You already know how to do this. You guys are already great at this. How many of you by show of hands have been to a wedding before? Been to a wedding? All right, great. Most of you have been to a wedding. So if you were at a wedding, let's just pretend like there's an aisle right here and I'm going to be officiating the wedding and you guys are all at the wedding and the bride is going to come down this aisle right here. And so, you know, the, the bridesmaids would come down, the groomsmen would all be over there, the bridesmaids would all be over there, the husband or the soon-to-be groom husband would be right there. And, you know, we'd all be standing there. And then once all the bridesmaids were in place, those doors would open and there's where the bride would be. And then what would every single one of us in the audience do at that point? You would all stand up. You would stand up and you'd make sure that you were facing the bride. And as she went down the aisle, you'd make sure that you continue to face her. And you'd do the little stutter step and go on over there. And then, you know, the officiant would say, please be seated. Now, why do we do that? Why do we stand? Is that because she's better than us? No. She's not better than you. There's no way she's not better than you. No. All we're doing in that moment on that day is we are valuing her as more important than ourselves. We say, hey, today is your day. You are the bride today. So today, we treat you different. We ascribe and increase the value that we place on you. Here's another idea. Just think about this. Think if you got some email, your favorite celebrity, maybe your favorite singer, your favorite actor, your favorite author, whatever it is, your favorite celebrity was going to come and have dinner with you at your place. What would you do? What would you do? How would you act when they showed up? What would you do? You, you, would, you would probably make them feel welcome. You would maybe cook them something special when they walked in. You would make sure they had something to drink, make sure that they were comfortable. When you sat down to the meal, you would ask them questions about themselves. You would, you would ask them you know, to tell stories about their life. If, if that person showed up, you wouldn't be like, hey, what up? You know, Dinner's over there. Ask me any question you want about my life. No, you wouldn't do that if your favorite celebrity showed up. You would, you would, do, you would, you would make them feel special. Would you do that because they're better than you? 
No. They're not better than you. You just know how to increase the value you place on other people. And so what Paul is basically telling us to do is to treat everyone that way. To treat everyone. I saw an amazing example of this a couple of weeks ago. Over at Watermark, we've got this uh, residency and fellowship program. That's what Dale did at Watermark a few years ago where if you think about maybe wanting to go into full-time ministry, you come and you spend a year with us and you get some Bible and theology training and practical ministry training. So uh, just this August, we had all the new residents and fellows show up. And one of the fellows that's there working for the, uh, for the student ministry met me at our staff meeting and he came up and he introduced himself to me and said, hey, Adam, I'd love to pick your brain about a few things with ministry and life and how I can make the most of this opportunity. Can I take you to lunch? I said, great. Yeah, we'll go to lunch. So we got scheduled and the day came where we were going to go to lunch. And I remember I met him down in the lobby of our office and down there in the lobby, we've got the receptionist and we've got some security guards over there. And I get out of the elevator and this gentleman was over there talking to the security guards. He was laughing with them. He was engaging with them. He was asking them questions about their life and saying, all right, I got to go to lunch now and I'll follow up with you and just just talking to him like they were his friends. So then he and I, we walk out to the car and he starts asking me all these questions about how my day was going. We go, we get in the car and he's continuing to pepper me with questions. We go over to Chipotle, we get in the line and he's continuing to ask me questions about my life. We get up there, he's offering to pay for the lunch. And I'm like, bro, we pay you nothing. I think I'll pay for the lunch, it's okay. The person that's making our burrito bowl, he engages with that person. Hey, how's your day going? What's going on? The person that is taking our payment, he engages with that person. We sit down at lunch, these other people from Watermark come up. He introduces himself to them, engages with them. We go home all throughout lunch. He's just asking me questions. He's listening. He keeps asking all, asking all these follow-up questions. We drive back to the office, and he's continuing to ask me questions. Two days later, two days later, he sends me a thank you email, and he lists out all the things I said that he really liked, that he remembered. I was like, bro, my wife never even did that when we were dating, man. I, like, you remembered all of this stuff. That is amazing. That is amazing that he did that. And you know what I thought? I thought, that's a humble brother. That's a guy who believes that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 is true. He wasn't treating me that way because I was better than him. He wasn't treating the security guards that way because they were better than him. He wasn't treating Chipotle employees that way because he was better. He was treating every single person the exact same way because he's humble. He was increasing the value that he placed on other people. Let me give you a really, really practical way to do this. If you want to be humble... If you want to be humble, then if you start to increase the value you place on others, and the reason that this produces humility in us is because it just gets us knocked off this orbit of narcissism that we can so easily get focused on, especially in college, of just thinking about you and your resume and your schedule and what's going to work for you, and you're just thinking about what your life is going to be like after this. And one of the practical ways that we can just get knocked out of that orbit of just this narcissism that can be there is I want every single one of us to resolve when we leave here to start to act like professional golfers. Well, let me say it, let me say it this way. I want us all to resolve to start to act like a golfer that knows what they're doing, a good golfer, somebody that wants to improve at golf. And very specifically, I want us to act like good golfers when they putt. Okay, so if you guys have watched it, on, on television when a golfer putts, let's just pretend like here I am, I'm the professional golfer, the hole is right over there. And so what a good golfer will do with a hole, it's not like when you show up at putt-putt, you just drop it down and you just try to hit it and just see wherever it goes. No, a good golfer, what they do is they will look at that hole wherever it is and they will get down on their knees, right? They'll, they'll crouch down 
and they'll start looking at that hole. And what they're doing is they're trying to read where the green is. They're trying to read, is it going to break this way? Is it going to break that way? Sometimes they'll take their putter and they'll kind of like hold it up like this. If you guys remember Tiger Woods, he would do stuff like this and he would get up there. And so they, they're, they're just getting at a different perspective and they're looking at that putt. But then what the great ones do is they don't just look at it from this angle. You know what the great ones do? They walk around. They go on the other side. And now let's imagine that's where the hole is. They come to the opposite side of the hole. And they do the exact same thing. They get down and they look at it and they say, I want to sink this putt so bad that I'm not going to just look at it from one perspective. I want to look at it from all the perspectives. And, and what's amazing, guys, is if we start to do that in our relationships, if we start to understand, okay, one of the ways I'm going to increase the value I place on others is I'm going to start to look at life not just from my limited perspective. I'm not just going to stand here and just go, hey, this is the way I see it, and I'm right, and I, I can't even imagine what it's like over there. If you want to increase the value you place on others, start walking around to somebody else's perspective and just looking at life from their shoes. I think you'd be amazing what you'll see over there. What you'll see over there is that most people have a perspective and they have a point. What you'll see over there is that a lot of times your opinions are just that. They're opinions, they're not truth. What you start to understand is that when you get over there, life looks a little bit different and you know what it is? It's humbling. It's humbling. And so we want to move towards humility. We want to move towards humility. We understand that there's one enemy and we start to increase the value that we place on other people. And now let's look at how Paul wraps this up and closes down. So he says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He talked about how we need to be united with one another. And then here's a summary, verse 5, and we'll read from 5 to 11. So in your relationships with one another, that's what we're talking about tonight, in your relationships with one another, here's basically a summary. Act like Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, and it's like this, this hymn or this poem. It's some of the greatest writing ever about the person of Jesus Christ. No matter, you know, if you're in here and you know who Jesus is as your Lord and Savior, or just exploring who he is, everybody reads this and goes, that man sounds amazing. And I want to be more like him. Listen to this. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather... He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself. There's our word. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that it, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so a couple things that I just want to note here in this last point is number one, let's just, let's just note that Jesus took the ultimate mission trip. Amen? Do we just agree? That's great that you went to Belize. That's great that you go to Haiti. That's great that you want to go to Africa. That's great that you want to go down to South America, Central America. You want to go to Asia. But let's just agree that Jesus wins when you go from heaven to earth. That's the ultimate mission trip. And so Jesus took the ultimate mission trip. And when he came here, he didn't show up and be like, hey, I win. He showed up and he labored to serve. He showed up and he made himself nothing. And in verse 7 there, he took on the very nature of a servant. 
And so the third point that I want to make out of the scripture tonight, ways that you and I, that we can move towards humility and experience this in our relationships is to labor to serve. We got to labor to serve. And again, this is so difficult in our culture. This is so difficult in our culture. And I finally figured out who to blame. I figured out who to blame. His name is, I wrote it down. Let me make sure I get it right. His name is Harry Selfridge. Anybody heard of Harry Selfridge? No, I think we got this picture that'll go up there. Harry Selfridge lived in the, the early 1900s, 1909. He had the Selfridge department stores over in London. And the, the department store that he owned was suffering that a lot of people were not starting. Uh, they were starting to go to other places. And he was looking for a marketing strategy to get more people to come in to his department store. And so he came up with this marketing strategy and he came up with this phrase and he coined this phrase. And so he, and this is a phrase that now, you know, a thousand some odd years later, it still lives today. And it's very much been absorbed by our culture. And the phrase that he came up with is this, the customer is always right. That's the phrase he came up with. He coined that phrase. Now, how many of you have been in customer service at some point over the summer? Is that statement true? No, it's not true. The customer is like rarely right, okay? But, but here's, what, here's what was going on. Harry Selfridge was smart. He wasn't evil. He was smart. He knew what people wanted to hear. And he knew. He started. The, he, he coined this phrase, and he, and he taught it to all of his employees. He said, when the customers walk into our store, they are always right. And so those customers started to be treated differently. They were told they were always right. They got their way every single time. Sales started to increase when one organization is successful, other organizations take notice. Hey, Mr. Selfridge, what are you doing? Oh, we started this new idea. It's called the customer is always right. Great, we'll do it. So it spreads to another store, spreads to another store, spreads to another store, skips over into America and now has continued to live for thousands of years in our culture. And now here, here's, here's where we are today now in 2017. We don't just believe it's true when we walk into a, to establishments that are to a restaurant or a department store. We've absorbed this idea so deep in our hearts that we believe it's true in life. We think we're customers in life. And so if life isn't going our way, if life isn't going our way, we think there's a manager we can talk to to try to get things to go our way. And what we do, and nobody would admit this, but what we do oftentimes is we make it our life goal to just have a bunch of people around us that are just serving us. And that makes us prideful. So if we want to be humble, if we want to move towards humility, then what we need to do is we need to do what Jesus did. And we just need to serve others. So every day, every single day when you wake up, you know exactly what your job is that day. You never have to guess. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you never, ever, ever have to guess what your job is that day. Your job is to serve. And by serving, I don't know if that means, you know, it probably doesn't mean that you got to clean your roommate's bedroom or do the dishes for them or do their homework or pay their rent for them. It probably doesn't mean that. That's probably more enabling. That's not serving. But what it means to serve them, what it means to serve them is to every, every single place you go, everywhere you go, you are to bring the peace and the presence of God to every meeting, to every conversation, to every interaction that you have. Your job when you wake up every day is not to labor to be served, but to labor to serve, just like Jesus. Because here's the deal, guys. If we're looking to be served, if we're looking to be served, then that's, that, that desire to be served is a desire to be worshipped, and that is sin. And that is not of God. 
and it's not going to happen. I mean, Paul makes it really clear here. There's one guy that deserves all the worship, and it's, it's the one who took the mission trip. He's the one that's going to be exalted to the highest place. He's the one that is going to be given the name that is above every name. He is the one that one day every knee is going to bow and recognize him as Lord. Every tongue is going to acknowledge that to the glory of God the Father. The one who deserves worship is not us. It is our Savior, Jesus. And so if we want to move towards humility, if we want to move towards humility, then we need to remember that we have one enemy. One enemy. We need to increase the value that we place on others. And we need to labor to serve. O-I-L-S. That's the order in our relationship. If you are not humble, then your relationships are going to crumble. And Paul just lays out for us here, this is how we move towards humility. Let me close with this last story and just one last thought. So I've got a third grader and a first grader. And this last spring, I was coaching their baseball team. And it had been, this was like the third or fourth season that this team had been together. And I was pretty excited about this season because I'd been playing with these boys for a few years or they had been playing together for a few years. I was starting to see some progress in them and I was just really excited about the season and thought maybe, you know, maybe this time we were going to get more than four or five wins in a season. Maybe we'd have a chance to go far in the tournament. And so the, the hopes were high. The practices were going well. We were really excited about this season. The boys were all excited about the season. First game rolls around our little opening day in May comes around first game we play against this team called the Rough Riders. We didn't even complete the game because we got run ruled. The score was like 15 to 2. And I thought, okay, maybe that was the best team. Maybe we just got it out of the way. And now we're going to be like, you know, 8 and 1 or something like that. And so we'll get them the next game. Next game shows up. Run ruled again, 15 to 1. All right, maybe now we'll be 7 and 2 or something like that. You know, maybe maybe we're going to turn this corner here third game shows up and it was again maybe four innings this time 15 to 6 we finished the season 2 and 8 it was awful it was awful and you know what we felt after that third game and you know what we felt at the end of that season we felt humble we were humble and the reason why we were humbled is because we spent the whole season being around teams that were greater than we were and the reason I share that is because the, the to-do for all of us when we walk out of here is to not go try to be humble. I want to make sure you guys hear that. You cannot make yourself humble. You cannot do it. You and I can only be made humble. You cannot make yourself humble. And the way you are made humble is when you spend time around something or someone that is greater than you. That's how you're made humble. So the to-do for all of us when we walk out of here tonight, the to-do for all of us is to follow Jesus, is to spend time with God every single day, to be around the one who is exalted to the highest place, to be around him. Because as you're around him who is greater than you, and as you read his word and you see the way he lived, you are humbled to see just how far you need to go and just how bad you need a Savior. And when that humility is present in you, when you are made humble, then it is easier for you to understand that you're to have one enemy, to increase the value that you place on others, and to labor to serve every single day. So be with him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.
So God, our prayer tonight is that you will humble us. My prayer tonight, God, is that you will help us to just repent of this prideful attitude that so many of us have, thinking that certain people don't deserve a relationship with us. And so, God, I pray that we will be marked as people who have just one enemy in this life. God, I pray that we will be like Ben, my friend Ben, and that we will treat every single person we meet the exact same way. And so I pray, Lord, that we will be marked as people that increase the value we place on others, that we will treat everybody as valuable, that we won't just think about our interests, but we will think about the interests of others. And God, I pray that you will help us to labor to serve, that we will not make it our goal in life just to get this orbit of people that are serving us, that we won't think that life is found by being the center of everybody worshiping us, that we will recognize that life is found in laboring to serve others like our Lord and Savior served us by dying on the cross. So God, I pray that you'll humble us. I pray that you'll be, that we will just be with you and that we will just see how magnificent you are and that we will be humble so that we can love others the way that you want us to. And so that's our prayer, and that's what we ask, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name.